Welcome to the N-Zerocast, your one-stop shop for all things N-Zero, DevOps, and infrastructure as code. And now, here's your host, Tim Davis, DevOps advocate at N-Zero. Hello, hello, hello. Thanks for joining me again for the second episode here of the M0Cast. Got a lot of cool stuff for you today. We're going to talk about a little bit of company news. We're going to talk about a little product news. And then we have a pretty awesome interview that we'll get to. Uh, More on that in a little bit. So company news, we have a lot going on. Uh, Very, very exciting times. We're uh, starting to catch a lot of traction with uh, a lot of very, very cool customers out there. Um, It's really going to show that the problem we're trying to solve comes across lots of different verticals in the industry. We have some financial, we have some high tech, we have some healthcare, we have some service providers. Lots of people are starting to take note and we are not just, you know, shoved into a specific vertical. Um, So if there's, you know, any any cool use cases or anything out there, always feel free to uh, reach out to us. You can find us on Twitter at E-N-V-Z-E-R-O. You can find us on YouTube at E-N-V and the number zero. You can find us at our website, www.envandthenumberzero.com. Feel free to go through, check us out, follow us, subscribe, like, hit the little up, you know, thumbs up buttons. Uh, we're always here to help. So a cool piece of news here. We have just signed our first Pre-sales SE, solutions engineer, systems engineer, sales engineer, whatever you want to call the title. Uh, They will be coming to us from a a very well-known and respected company in the industry. Um, Super, super excited to have them joining. Uh, Up to now, I've covered that duty here um, in the U.S., so I'm really excited to kind of hand that over, and we will absolutely make sure to to have them on the M0Cast talk about why they made the choice and kind of, you know, how they see things going forward. Uh, we've also hired several new developers at this point in time. Uh, we pretty much have an open casting call at all times for uh, for front end and back end, basically full stack developers. Um, at this point in time, everybody's based out of Israel there in our R&D. Um, so if you know somebody out there, please feel free to reach out. We're always looking for great people. Um, at this point in time, we've got more stuff stacked on our list that we want to do and need to do than we have people. Um, doesn't mean that we can't get stuff out the door quickly. I'm still to this day completely in awe at what our velocity is for pushing stuff out there and getting stuff done. Uh, but some of our leadership thinks that we could probably go faster. So the more the merrier. Uh, come on. Speaking of our developers, there's a a pretty awesome article out there that I'll link in the show notes from one of our principal engineers, Avner, Um, and it's essentially OSS and infrastructure's code will break the internet. He's got some really cool points in there. Uh, It was a really well-written article. Um, He was just going to post it on his personal blog, and we ended up pushing it out, and it got picked up by DZone. They liked it so much, so uh, definitely be sure to check that out. Um, as far as product news, we've got a lot of really cool stuff going, um, since I'm in a cool space now where I'm not at a giant software company that's public and what have you, I can tell you all I want about features. I don't have to deal with revenue recognition issues and stuff like that. Always good for me. Uh, self-hosted agents is something that we've just recently come out on. We've got several customers that are utilizing it. If this is something that you're interested in, uh, this is the second approach that we have for our deployment model. We have a pure SaaS version. Obviously, that's kind of where we started. Um, 
we have our SOC 2 type 2 for compliance if anybody has any security issues with that. But if really that doesn't quite fit, we always have our hybrid approach where we have the SaaS front end and then we have our self-hosted agent stack in the back end. Please feel free to reach out to us. You can always go to the website, env0.com. Um, feel free to you know click the button there to set up a meeting and we'll talk to you about what's necessary and how we make this work. It's an awesome stack. It's a great way for us to offer, you know, a little more security that allow you to keep your secrets in your account that will allow you to keep your code base and the execution in your account. So please reach out. Let us know if you're interested in this. Um, we'd love to get your feedback on that. We also have full integration with GitLab now. We've had it for a little while where you could click the button, you know, and go through and get your uh, your repository list and everything. But now we are able to go through and do pull request plans. We do have checks and things available. So we consider this our full integration. So if you do use gitlab.com, feel free to you know try the product out, test it out, try to break it. We always like that. Let us know what we need to fix or what we could be doing better. Obviously we're hyper-focused on user experience. So that's something that we're always looking to improve no matter what. Uh, we may think it's the best it is with the you know info we have on hand at the time, but always open for input from anybody. So this is all we've got going on right now. Not a not a ton of stuff, but definitely a lot of super uh, interesting things happening, a lot of exciting times. So uh, let's talk about the interview that we're going to do today. All right. And today we have an awesome guest on the podcast. We have Scott Winkler, the author of Terraform in Action. Uh, we're going to talk about Terraform. We might talk about the product a little bit, but who knows? We're just going to kind of see where this goes. Uh, Scott, thanks for coming. How are you doing today? Hi, Tim. Thanks for having me. Excellent. Um, so let's kind of talk about you a little bit. Um, you know, who other than the author of the book, like, you know, who are you? What's your background? What are you doing these days? Yeah, so I'm an uh, I wrote Terraform in Action, and uh, currently I am a software engineer at LA May, now Ice Mortgage, and I've been working involved with the Terraform community for many uh, many years now. In fact, uh, for, I've been recognized for my efforts as being a HashiCorp ambassador, a core contributor to Terraform, and I've spoken at several conferences for HashiTalks, HashiCons over the years. So very active in the community and the state of Terraform as it is right now. Oh, that's great. So, uh, you know, it's always good to have uh, somebody who's been around for a while. And uh, obviously you are one of the de facto experts on it. Um, you know, being able to say, yeah, I wrote the book on it. Is, uh, it's got to be something pretty cool. <laughs> it's, a pretty, it's a pretty surreal thing, I have to say. And How was the uh, the process of that? Was it was it difficult? Did you kind of have it in your head of what you wanted? Like, what, what did that process, what led up to you saying, I'm going to write a book and then going through it? You know, I've always liked writing. In fact, when I was in high school, I, I wanted to be an author instead of a software engineer. But oh, wow. But is not quite there. And when Manning Publications reached out to me to, to ask about if I wanted to write this book, I said, yes, of course, I would love to write this book. Um, and it was a ton of work. It's, I've been actually working on this for over two years now. It ended up being 420 plus pages. Oh, wow. Yes. And I, I put, I, I, I knew the structure of what it was going to be when I was mm -hmm. first writing it. So I actually had most of the chapters as they currently are laid out from the very beginning. But of course, the hard part is 
is actually writing the book. It takes very right. time and even just small things like editing figures can take months. So, But it's currently going into production right now. So the final version will be released within, I imagine, a few weeks. And then it will be in print within a couple months. That is, uh, that is awesome. Um, I've, you know, part, part of my job function is writing a lot, you know, blogs, short form, medium form, stuff like that. Um, I almost got into writing a book, uh, when I was at VMware, um, in the field for the pre-sales SEs, we were all, since we were so tied closely to the technology and use cases and things, we were all kind of pushed, Hey, you should write a book. Hey, you should write a book. We'll publish it for free because they have their own publisher. Um, I just, I, it's such a huge undertaking. It it was never anything that I was able to just sit down and knock out because I had my day job to do. Um, so, you know, good on you for being able to do that. Um, you know, in the middle here, we'll go ahead and mention, I'm going to give away a copy of the book here. Um, so, for all the listeners, the first person to tweet out to me at ENVZERO on Twitter, um, you know, tell me you listened and you want a copy of the book. So the first person that does that, I'll go ahead and get your information and we'll send you a book as soon as it's uh, ready to go there and we can do that. Um, so let's talk about the current state of Terraform. You kind of mentioned that right now. Um, a lot is going on lately in the infrastructure is code space. Um, you know, there's cloud specific ones, there's cloud agnostic ones, uh, different frameworks, different languages. How do you currently see the state of Terraform as it is? So I think Terraform is in a very good place right now. I think a few years ago, the future of Terraform was kind of in question because there were so many different competing technologies for provisioning tools and infrastructure as code tools. But I think that the, the industry is moving towards Terraform and standardizing around Terraform, partly because it is cloud agnostic and Mm -hmm. it's just a general state management tool. So it can work for many different kinds of things with the the provider system. And what we're seeing is that Terraform is maturing as a service. So it's being production hardened. The ecosystem and community are larger than ever before. And I think from a design perspective, Terraform is nearly complete, even though we're not at a 1.0 yet. Uh, from what I've seen in the last few releases, 13, 14, 15, we're not mm-hmm. seeing anything other than minor quality of life features being added. In fact, 0.112 was the last major change to the language itself. And right. um, I think that with the uh, the initial hype of Terraform dying off, we're we're still seeing more people adopt it and more people accepting it. So I, I think the future is very bright for Terraform in, in the near and even longer term future. And I definitely agree with that. I mean, there's like I mentioned, there are so many other frameworks out there. But I mean, when people are making the choice to go infrastructure as code, if they are all in on a specific cloud, say AWS, then you know most likely they're going to look towards you know cloud formation. If they're in Azure, they're going to look at ARM. Um, but what happens if they do need to go multi-cloud for some reason, or what happens if they have to migrate their cloud? Now, of course, there's tools to kind of help you change from one to the other. Um, but it would be just easier to start as a cloud agnostic framework from the start. And I mean, Terraform has modules for so many different things and providers that, you know, all of the public clouds, certain SaaS things. I think at one point in time, I've seen 
hardware. Like I think F5 has one that you can yeah. you know, utilize that for. So it's really cool to see that. It still blows my mind that Terraform has been around for this long and is this prolific, but still hasn't hit a 1.0 release. <laughs> that, it, it's, it's so weird to me because you see how long they've been going and how much they're doing. And it's still, like you mentioned, it's not quite perfect, but it's basically there. Um, so I think I, I don't think anybody's going to know what to do with themselves when it finally hits 1.0. Um, so that's definitely cool. Um, so like, let's talk a little bit about policy as code that kind of goes along with that. Cause that's, you know, when you're doing infrastructure as code, you kind of need to be able to put guardrails around that, kind of figure out who's doing what and where and when and how. Um, and that's really what spawned our little niche of the industry, the, uh, the tacos software, Terraform automation and collaboration software, um, us obviously Terraform cloud scalar space lift. Um, when it comes down to that and you're adding your, governance and controls and you've got policy as code uh, we get the question a lot of do you support sentinel and of course the answer is no nobody supports sentinel but terraform um so how do you see it for people's usage of like sentinel versus open policy agent so uh, i i agree with you that the future of infrastructure as code centers around governance and policy as code and HashiCorp does have their own sentinel which they've been heavily promoting. In fact, they kind mm -hmm. of force you to use it if you're using their platform. Right. But from my experience, and I've worked quite a bit with Sentinel, I am not impressed by Sentinel. I think that the technology is not very mature and it doesn't do a whole lot for you. Right. So I actually created my own policy as code tool that mimics Sentinel. And it's really? in Golang and using the TFJSON library that does exactly the same thing that Sentinel does. Right. Because uh, Sentinel is really just a language around uh, that allows you to interact with the state file and the config file and, and write some custom logic with that. Mm -hmm. So uh, I, I don't like how Sentinel locks you into their ecosystem. So there's just a number of problems that I, I see with Sentinel and, and their development team is just not able to keep up. I yeah, have, and I mean, it makes um, sense. I have seen that this space become a lot more competitive recently, especially mm -hmm. in the last year, because Sentinel was in a league of its own, I think, a few years ago. There wasn't a lot of interest in it, but also there wasn't a lot of competition. Now we're seeing more and more technologies come to market. And I, I think that mm -hmm. uh, we're gonna, it's going to be very exciting in the next few years because one of these technologies is going to gain market share very quickly and become the standard. And uh, I'm, I'm not convinced that this is going to be something. And it, it's, it, that's interesting to me because HashiCorp with, you know, Terraform open source, they took the, the Switzerland approach. They didn't want to be locked into a cloud. They want to have providers for everything. Um, so it, it's interesting to me that they decided to take and lock Sentinel in as, you know, this is only working on our platform. It's only doing our thing. Because uh, it just seems like it's counterproductive to their overall mantra of we want to control everything. Well, and that's very interesting, too, because um, they expose enough that you could actually integrate Sentinel with your custom workflows. Because you can still really? download the Sentinel binary, and all you need to do to integrate with Terraform is just create a custom plugin to be able to do that and they uh, give you a framework for 
writing that plugin too. So it's definitely doable. The reason why they went with the Switzerland approach from talking to their development team was that they felt like their Terraform Enterprise didn't have enough to distinguish it for the enterprise. And so they saw this as a gotcha. major selling point because uh, their Terraform Cloud already does so much for you. And even their open source does so much for you that people right. were creating their own custom workflows, even just using Jenkins or, or whatever. And they were very happy with that. And they said, well, why do we need to pay you for this enterprise product? <laughs> that's why they came up with Sentinel. And that's why they forced you to use it because uh, th that, that's the only thing that they could find value in for their product. And that makes sense. And the, the way that they're kind of tying those services together from a cloud perspective, like if you're using Vault, if you're going to use Console, if you're going to use Sentinel, uh, they're building a nice ecosystem there, but it is very, you know, vendor locking in that, you know, in that regard. Um, so it's, it was just kind of interesting for me to see why they decided to go that route. But the way you explained it absolutely makes sense. Um, it's very cool. And a little bit back, you mentioned that you created your own policy as code framework. Is that something, did you open source that? Is that on GitHub or is that just something you utilize yourself? Um, so I haven't open sourced that. Um, so I, I, really what I created was a demo to prove that this is possible. And then actually okay. I'm working on an initiative within my team to build this out into a full-fledged platform. We couldn't open source this at a later point. Um, right. But I mean, I'd be happy to have an architecture discussion about how this actually works because I do think that people need to realize that Sentinel just isn't doing that much for you. It's basically a custom domain language right. of what you could already do with some of these uh, open source libraries, like particularly the TFJSON one that was created by HashiCorp that allows you to interact with the state file and the config using Golang right and that and that's that's really really cool um i we could probably sit here and talk for an hour on just that subject alone so i'm making a note here and i might see if you want to come back later and talk about that because um, it is definitely cool we we don't do any form of policy enforcement we have our role-based access control and things like that for the guardrails but the actual true governance of your deployments you know parsing the uh the plan file, making sure that everything gets enforced, you know, no open cider blocks and blah, blah, blah. That, that's not something that we specifically want to spend a bunch of time on. We see open policy agent as being huge with that um, due to the fact that they are trying to stay as agnostic as they can. Um, so with our custom flows, you know, we allow people to string that in, run that, make sure that everything's getting enforced. Uh, we definitely saw that as the route to take. Um, it so is also interesting for you saying that you could possibly string sentinel in elsewhere because um, i never thought about that that way so that's actually interesting yeah um so I, I definitely think that there's kind of two approaches toward the policy as code you have the um the active management which is where <laughs> you have like some kind of agent that's sitting in the cloud deriving like a context for the infrastructure that you're deploying and uh and then you also have like the stuff that happens in the plan so you have the the pre right. the pre-deployment and the post-deployment so sentinel where that kind of fits in is making sure that the stuff that you're about to deploy it doesn't have issues and maybe also validating right. your your terraform configuration code because currently validation is 
big problem in, in Terraform. They have the ter- validating input variables, but that's not very right. Good. Yeah, uh, so I, I, not, I not perfect. I use Sentinel or my, now my equivalent for Sentinel for for doing the validation of Terraform configuration uh, for the plan, and then also for uh, for writing some some simple policies uh, that would very be cool. during the plan. And then also you have other kinds of tools that you're, as you were saying, like Scalar that that could monitor the infrastructure after it's deployed. So after you already have that infrastructure deployed and making sure that it's in a continuous and good state and compliance. Right. And um, one thing that I, speaking of like, you know, checking configurations before it's deployed and stuff like that, um, I recently wrote a blog article on stringing checkoff from bridge crew into our uh, deployment process. So after the Terraform plan is done, it then, you know, parses that plan, checks for misconfigurations, and it'll throw an exit code um, if anything's wrong. So that was definitely something that I thought was uh, was cool. Um, and that was actually, we decided to put that together based on a customer coming in saying, hey, I want to utilize these checks. I want to make sure that nothing gets deployed that's not okay. And I'm already using bridge crew. So why not use Chekhov? So we found a way to kind of string that in there and uh, utilize that during the deployment. That was a, a very cool piece. I, I think that that's really great that you're doing that with the, the custom workflows and, and because that, that is the, the issue right now is that there's not one workflow. And I, I think HashiCorp would like you to believe that there's like one workflow for using Terraform. And the fact is that there's right. other kinds of tools that could be good to use with Terraform before, after, at different points of using Terraform. And uh, you need to have these hooks to be able to integrate with that because it's impossible right. to tell what, what new technology will, will or innovation will come out that you're going to want to be able to hook into. Yeah, and that's that's one thing that like when I'm having meetings with customers, I'm talking about our platform and stuff like that. And even when I was just figuring out if I wanted to leave my job at VMware and come work for this company, um, our custom flows is something that really sold me because if you take that out of the equation, we have a very, I don't want to say inferior product, but a very easy product. It really doesn't do much. You point us at a repo, we deploy the code. Um, But when you utilize the custom flows, you can really, really you know, it adds almost endless extensibility. Do you want to do checks here? Do you want to do this? Do you want to do, you know, API calls here and there? It gives us the two-way API extensibility because we have a full REST API inbound to control our product, and then we can utilize the custom flows outbound to control any other API. Uh, it, it's just really, really where we get, or and we, we can add in a bunch of extra value and kind of shift a lot of that stuff left into the pipeline. Oh, I, I agree. Yes. And I think this is where you get lumped into the CICD category right. because you do have these custom workflows. But the way that I see it, it it's uh, it's more of a, a, a native integration with what Terraform is already doing. And some of this stuff would be too heavyweight to, if you to have as like a separate CI/CD pipeline and then putting Terraform in there as well because the right. process of automating Terraform deployments is kind of different than uh, normal CI/CD because you, you you still want to get the results of the plan. Maybe you want to do like a manual approval step. You have to be able to store your state remotely, access variables. Like those are actually fairly difficult problems. And exactly so right. automating the Terraform deployment, but then still having the custom hooks that you can uh, 
be able to add your own tooling into, then it, it does, uh, in, in some essence, allow you to not use a, a CI/CD pipeline. But mm-hmm. that's just because the the product does uh, allows you, or gives you the customization for that. And it's not like you couldn't do that anyways. Oh, absolutely. But, uh, it just makes it a little bit easier. And and it's weird. We have customers that have, you know, dropped Jenkins entirely for us. We have a customer that's put us into a Jenkins pipeline. Um, it we, it kind of gives us the ability to fit anywhere into whatever workflows. And if you want to start small, just shove us into what you've already got. Then maybe we can take over one piece and another piece and another piece. Uh, you know, it, it, it all depends. Um, you know, we're still new. The whole niche of tacos is still new in the grand scheme of things. Uh, I definitely think it's a cool space. Um, I think eventually, you know, we're going to get our notoriety, whether it be like our own magic quadrant space for everybody or what. Um, I definitely think people are starting to take notice that you, like you mentioned, it it is a little more difficult than just hitting the apply button. You need to be able to manage all of these different possibilities and steps and, you know, approval chains and what have you. Um, Oh yeah. I, in fact, I actually described the process of just creating like a, Something like Terraform Cloud, or where you, where you have like a CI/CD pipeline for deploying mm-hmm. Terraform, and even just a very bare bones one is somewhat complex, actually. And, yeah. And then if you, the more features that you want to add, uh, the more complicated it gets, especially if you start wanting to have fancy UI to be able to view all of your different workspaces and, and exactly about, instead of just using like the built-in uh, Jenkins or uh, whatever CICD uh, platform UI. Right. So we kind of talked about the current state and all that, you know, different frameworks, some policy as code stuff in there. Uh, I, I'm interested to hear your take on like the future of infrastructure as code. Um, like, do you see Terraform continuing to be the juggernaut, you know, all the way through? Um, are there other frameworks that you think, or, you know, other styles or structures that you think might come through? I, I'm just interested in general to kind of hear your take on, how you see the, you know, what's on the horizon. So I think Terraform as it's maturing, is starting to become more clear where it, what its role is and where it fits in mm-hmm. to the infrastructure and DevOps tool chain. So I think when Terraform was first released, there was a lot of hype around it. And what you saw was people were trying to use Terraform for things that it really wasn't designed to be used for, just as a golden hammer, just throwing it at any problem. And just (laughs) so that they could have that magical Terraform apply that does everything. But I think what we've seen is that there's a recognition that Terraform is good at managing stateful applications. And Mm -hmm. so you can, for integrating with REST APIs in particular, create, read, update, delete, anything that kind of fits into that category is very good to manage with Terraform, especially with the, like, the way that it handles dependencies and all that. But Terraform, there's a lot of things that it's not good at. And for those, right. you do need to, have, to be able to expand your tool chain. And then where it gets challenging then is how you integrate Terraform with these other tool chains. I, I, for what I think will be in the future of infrastructure as code is 
maybe just more standardization around those other tool chains for infrastructure mm -hmm. code because we don't have a lot of standards. I mean, some people are using Terragon, some people are using Sentinel, some people are using right. their own custom tooling. Like it's it's all over the place. So I think what we'll see in the next few years is standardization around these tool chains. I actually don't believe that um, Terragrunt has much future. Uh, that's just mm -hmm. my personal opinion. I think that they uh, were early adopters and that they, they created the tooling that fit the need at the time. But right. there's other tooling that has evolved and actually superseded their functionality in many regards. Uh, and that's uh, primarily because of who they are as a business. They're they're more of a um, what is it like a they go out and help you as consultants, rather, and they have right, like an integration or implementation yeah. partner. But they don't. But and they have these tooling, but they don't really support it all that well. So right. um, I don't can't name any specific technologies. But I do think that this is a very interesting time right now because I think Terraform, it's very clear that Terraform has dominated in its niche and will mm -hmm. continue to do so. But the, the, the technologies around Terraform and, and are, are still not exactly clear. Right. And I, I've started to see Pulumi more and more and more. Um, obviously, people like it because you don't have to learn a new language. It's using the constructs you're already utilizing. And then we know that like Terraform's coming out with CDK and everything. Uh, where do you see those two, you know, coming up against each other? How do you see that fleshing out long term? I, I don't think Pulumi is a threat to Terraform at all. In fact, mm -hmm. uh, just the fact that you can do a lot of the things that Pulumi does already with Terraform, even before the CDK came out, just goes to show how little Pulumi is actually doing for you. I think people like the idea of using JavaScript or Python right. to be able to manage their infrastructure, but when the reality sits in that they have to do this and then they compare it to Terraform, they, they, they quickly realize that Terraform is actually far better. And... I did see that there was a Pulumian action book, so like analogous to my book, Terraform in Action, that was uh -huh. applications. And they only wrote, the guy only wrote like two chapters and then abandoned it. So I think maybe that was just oh, lack, wow. not, maybe that was lack of interest or, or whatever. But if you look at some of the code for how Pulumi is supposed to be used, mm -hmm. it, it just feels like you're passing in a very large configuration object to a function. And that's... And it doesn't right. look all that different than Terraform. It just is more verbose. And I, I just can't imagine why somebody would want to do that to themselves. I think that <laughs> with, uh, Terraform, the advantage is with these providers that already do a lot of this step-by-step uh, right. -step procedural code already do that for you. And if you need extra stuff, then just use other tools. You build that into your CI/CD pipeline. Don't yeah. put that in with your because again, this is just like going back to what I said about using Terraform to do everything. I think that's the the feeling that people are getting with Pulumi that oh, Terraform doesn't do these things, but I can do it with Pulumi. Well, yes, you can, but maybe you shouldn't. Yeah, and I mean that. I mean, in all fairness, I come from. A lot of large enterprise. I've also done some small shops and stuff where DevOps would be more relevant these days. I, 
I kind of saw DevOps and that coming up as, you know, developers and folks fighting against the infrastructure I, or the enterprise idea of buy a big suite of tools that does everything you need. Like, why do that when I can string in all of the best of breed stuff into, you know, one process and procedure? Um, so that definitely makes sense where instead of just, like you mentioned, using the giant golden hammer um, and putting everything together, when you could just take this one does that the best, this one does that the best and make them work together. Um, so that, that absolutely makes perfect sense to me. Yeah. Well, excellent. Um, I appreciate your time. I appreciate you coming on. Um, do you have anything coming up, uh, any speaking engagements or anything like that that you'd like to, uh, you know, tell everybody about? Do you have any social media or stuff you want us to follow? Um, so my social media Twitter handle is Scott J. Winkler. My GitHub is Scott Winkler. If you want to see some of my code that I've written for Terraform modules or providers, I have a Excellent. Minecraft Terraform provider that people always like to see. I guarantee you, you'll get some traction off that from at least one or two people that listen to that. <laughs> this That's cool. I, I had a talk about it from HashiTalks a couple of years ago, so they can also watch a video on YouTube about that. Oh, very cool. And uh, other than that, I just have uh, a code that you can use to save 50% off of my book, uh, TS Terraform. So uh, just that all, all word together, TS Terraform, save 50% off. Very cool. I will put that in the show notes for everybody as well. Yeah, and the final version is going to be released pretty soon, and it'll be in print within a couple months. Excellent. Well, congratulations on the book and everything like that. And uh, like I said, I may uh, see if we can you know chat again at some point in time about uh, the policy as code stuff because we we could have talked for quite some time on that. Uh, but again, I appreciate your time. I would be happy to be back. Thank you. Excellent. Well, great to meet you. Have a great day, and I appreciate it. Take care. You're listening to EnvZeroCast. This is your host, Tim Davis. All right. Hopefully everybody liked that interview with Scott. Uh, it was very cool to meet him and talk to him. Um, I will most definitely try to uh, have him back on again so we can talk about policy as code and some other stuff there. Um if anybody else has any questions, they have any follow-ups, they want to know more, make sure to hit us on social media. We are M0 at E-N-V-Z-E-R-O on Twitter. We are at uh, E-N-V, the number zero, dot com on the web. Um, make sure to go and subscribe to the YouTube channel as well, at E-N-V and the number zero. And as always, um, you know, have a great day. Thanks for listening. This has been another episode of the Env Zero Cast. Be sure to like and subscribe to our social channels and get all the latest episodes and updates.